human beings, like all other land mammals, don't uh, associate safety with a place, like a place that they can run to, but with a being. Mm. Isn't that so beautiful? That's great. I love that. So I think that it's just so important, regardless of your style, that you and your partner are in agreement that you're going to be one another's safe place. From the Relationship Center, I'm psychotherapist, couples counselor, and dating coach Jessica Engel, and this is I Love You Too, a show about how to create and sustain meaningful relationships. I'm professional certified coach Josh Van Vliet. On today's episode, we're going to talk about seven common myths about attachment and the surprising truths that will help you use attachment theory to create secure functioning relationships. We're so happy you're here, and please remember that this show is not a substitute for a relationship with a licensed mental health professional. Welcome, everybody. So we're going to be talking about attachment and some myths about attachment that we hear a lot in our work with folks. And we really wanted to talk about this in particular because attachment theory is a really useful lens for looking at relationships and how to have successful long-term relationships. And the more that we understand it, the more it can help us improve our relationships and improve the likelihood of us getting into a relationship that we really love. And it's pretty hot right now. Mm-hmm. A lot of people are talking about it and we see some, some pretty common misunderstandings about attachment theory that negatively impact some of our clients and some of our loved ones. And so we, we're excited to get into it today so that you can learn some of the, the truths about attachment that will help you use it effectively in your life and in your relationships. Yes, absolutely. And we are just wanting to outline for you what we're not going to go over in this episode. This is not going to be a basic overview of attachment theory. There's really great information out there already reviewing the basics. If you aren't familiar with attachment theory or your styles, we will direct you to the show notes. We're going to link you to Diane Poole-Haller's assessment. I love that one for really determining what your style is or styles are. And then the book Wired for Love by Stan Tatkin is a great one. The original book that hit the pop psychology world, I don't know how long ago now, must have been 13 years ago. It was Attached by Levine and Heller. Uh, That one, a lot of people also swear by. So those are a few different resources to check out just to get the basics of attachment theory. All right. Well, let's just get right into it. We've got seven myths about attachment that we'll be busting on today's episode. And the first one is this, your attachment style developed as a result of early childhood experiences. So why is this one a myth? Yeah, so this one is kind of a myth. Your attachment style does absolutely develop from early childhood experiences. Some theorists actually estimate about 90% of your reactions in current day relationships are based on early attachment experiences. Uh, The thing is, that's not the only thing that impacts attachment style. So we are malleable beings. There is something called neuroplasticity and uh, we do adjust our style based off of all the relationship experiences we have in our life. So an adult relationship can shift you from one style to the other. Love it. We're always learning. We're always growing. Relationships in adulthood, 
uh, trauma, other things can impact our attachment style. But why is this especially important for us as adults now? Right. Yeah, I think that this is an important myth to bust because people who grew up in, say, a secure family or secure-seeming family may actually experience themselves as insecure in relationship as adults and feel confused or ashamed about Mm -hmm. that. And so I think it's really important to recognize, like, yeah, you may have come from a really secure family and maybe that boyfriend you had in high school who really struggled to treat you uh, well or consistently also impacted you. And so it would make perfect sense that you might feel anxious in your current relationship. So that's one reason why it's important just to recognize attachment styles can be rooted in adult experiences, just to make sure that you're looking at all the different pieces to understand your own style. The second piece is that because we have that neuroplasticity, that means if you grew up in a family uh, that was insecure, That means you have the capacity to earn secure attachment, which is the sort of scientific term for just developing secure attachment. Um, So that's really good news. You aren't boxed in by your early childhood experiences. I feel like that leads us really naturally into our second myth, which is that your attachment style is fixed. Yes. And I know that this is one one of the misconceptions that I had that initially turned me off attachment theory at the beginning. Because it seemed like this way of like assessing someone's value. Like if you have a secure attachment style, you're good. If you have an insecure attachment style, you're bad mm-hmm. and you're stuck with it. So it sucks to be you. Right. And it didn't feel like a very helpful or empowering framework for understanding things. Um, and so that's why I was ex- especially excited to learn this, that uh, it's not true that your attachment style is fixed. Just like we started to talk about in the first myth, that it can in fact change over time and different experiences that we have throughout our life will impact that. Mm -hmm. What else would you like to say about this one? Yeah. Well, I mean, one interesting statistic, Levine and Heller, the authors of Attached, the book I mentioned earlier, they point out in their book that one in four people changes their attachment style once in a four-year period. Wow. Yeah. So. That makes it very clear how very not fixed it is. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. And they estimate that if you have an insecure style and you're with a secure partner, somebody who's able to create a secure functioning relationship with you, you can actually shift towards secure attachment within a, I think it is about a three-year period or two to three-year period. So again, there's, it's like, it may take a little bit of time, but we are absolutely mutable. Mm. And it's like, in in some ways, you know, two or three years can sound like a long time, but but also not. Right. It's a couple of years with the right partner and the right relationship can really make a difference. That's yeah. pretty hopeful. It is. And I especially want our uh, anxiously attached listener to listen in on that, to really yeah. register that because the anxious attachment experience is one of, I'm never going to get what I really need in relationship. I'm always going to get like some, but not enough. Mm-hmm. And so like really see if you can let that land there is hope. You can develop the attachment style, the skills needed to really register love and invite in love in the way that you crave. Yeah. Yeah. So we can absolutely shift towards secure attachment. The other piece to know about this is we can shift towards insecure attachment. That is, the, right? that is the flip side of this for sure. <laughs> that is the flip side. And the reason I think this is important to acknowledge is not to uh, put some anxiety in your space 
dear listener, but to just acknowledge that it's, it's good to be very discerning about who we are in relationship with. Mm. If there's somebody who is really going to give you the experience of inconsistency or lack of connection in relationship, you know, that's going to have an impact. Mm. Uh, so just, you know, be mindful about who you are choosing relationship with. It really puts in perspective staying with somebody because it's like, oh, it's not terrible. Right. Like, well, it actually is having an impact on your attachment system potentially. Yes. Uh, and if you're really looking for a long-term partnership, a healthy long-term partnership, even though it may be uncomfortable in the short term, it's probably better for you in the long term to end that relationship so that you're available and so that you're not building up that insecure attachment style. Right. Yeah, it makes me think of some of my clients who will develop casual relationships with people, even though they're really looking for something committed. Mm, And, you know, it's like they're in a tough position because they're like, I have these needs for touch and intimacy that aren't getting met. And so I I think I'm going to try to do it through this. And it's like, yeah, it would be great if that had no consequences. And some of the time it sets them up for the experience of just being left again. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it is good to just choose wisely when we already have a tendency towards insecurity, really choose who we are relating to. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, ready for myth number three? Ready. Okay. Uh, so num- number three is insecure attachment is unhealthy or bad. Yes. And you sort of hinted at this earlier, the sense of like, oh, insecure attachment, bad. Secure right. attachment, good. <laughs> kind of the very simplistic <laughs> way it gets communicated sometimes. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Or we interpret it at least. Yeah. 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 And so I, I think we should just sort of land in some reality checking on this. Yeah. There are health risks associated with insecure attachment. That is true. Okay, so there's like an increased risk for physical and mental health conditions when we have an insecure attachment style because there's naturally more cortisol and adrenaline in the system, which has a lot of impacts, okay? That said, sometimes when there's this message of insecure attachment is unhealthy or bad, it goes beyond there's health consequences. It goes into kind of what you were describing earlier of like almost like a moral... Failing or something. Like you're bad. Yeah. Or being anxious or or being avoidant. Like stay away from the avoidance or stay away from the the anxious or definitely stay away from the disorganized, Mm -hmm. right? You kind of get that sense from some of the articles that are out there. And I think that's actually a pretty understandable thing to hear in some of the material that's out there because insecure attachment styles are based in shame, okay? Mm. So if you have an insecure style, there is an inherent sense of not good enough. Right. And so I think that that sometimes comes out in the material that's written about those styles, maybe because they are written by people who are struggling with that shame and those Mm. styles, okay? So there can be this sense, you know, for those who are more anxious, there's a sense of I'm bad, I'm not good enough, for the avoidant, it can be kind of an underlying sense of I'm not good enough that often gets projected onto other people. Mm-hmm. And the disorganized can be one or both of those things in sort of larger amounts, larger quantities or more extreme. Right. The, the thing that I keep coming back to around this is that these insecure attachment styles were adaptive. I think it's, it's worth just pausing on that for a second you didn't develop an insecure attachment style for no reason. 
Right. Like, well, like we were talking about in the first myth, right? It's a result of things that happened in childhood as well as adult relationships, trauma, other things that you've experienced in your life. And so, you know, even if we think about as a kiddo, uh, if, for example, you didn't get much attunement from your parent, right? They weren't available to you. They weren't emotionally present when you needed support, when you needed care, when you needed comfort. Uh, They weren't available for that for whatever reason. It was adaptive for you to develop an avoidant attachment style. That's how part of how you survived, part of how you uh, got through that period of time in your life. And so if you're listening to this podcast now, you're probably at a point in your life that that particular set of responses and reactions are no longer useful for you. But it was, right? It was adaptive. It got you to this point. And so it's just now it's like, okay, how do I now work with this so that I can form the kind of relationship that I really want? that is a secure functioning relationship, which I know we'll talk a a little bit more about later. And rather than seeing it as bad or wrong for you, it's just no longer useful for you at this stage in life. Yes, I think that's put just perfectly. The one of the main tasks of developing more of that secure attachment or the skills for building secure functioning relationship is that self-love, self-compassion, seeing oneself as good enough. And so see if you can get really savvy at noticing when you're thinking about attachment styles or other people's attachment styles, notice if the tone starts to move into good, bad, right, wrong Mm. versus, wow, isn't this resilient human amazing? They're still here wanting to connect in the way that they can, even though they've probably gone through something difficult. Mm. And same goes for you. I love the way that you emphasized Look at how they're here wanting to connect. Mm -hmm. That when we can shift from, well, I don't like this thing that they're doing or what that I'm doing for that matter, either way, but I don't like this thing that they're doing to, oh, they're here and they're looking to connect even in spite of everything else that they've been through in their life. That's so, so much sweeter. It's like, I get a little like warm in my heart when you Mm -hmm. say that. Oh Mm -hmm. yeah, that's, that's great. And it gives us this opening for how do we then learn to connect together given our our predispositions for particular attachment styles. That's a more collaborative connection oriented approach versus like, I don't like this or I don't you know, want that. Right. Well, and that's a secure attachment behavior, looking for what is good, looking mm. for the connection, affirming yeah. the connection. Yeah. Cool. 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 Ready for number four? I'm ready for number four. All right. So myth number four, you're just one style. Yeah, that's not true. (laughs) Yeah, so I always giggle because, you know, people come to me and and these days people are pretty educated about attachment styles and often they will come and say, I'm this style and I need help, you know, with dating and and relationships and and then I have them do an assessment and every single person I give, Diane Pooler-Heller's, Diane, excuse me, Diane Poole Heller's assessment, everyone comes back all the styles. Everyone. And I just, I think that this is one of the biggest myths and one of, in fact, the most damaging ones about Mm. attachment style. What do you see that's damaging about it? I think that it stops us from seeing aspects of our 
patterns ourself in relationship, mm-hmm. it stops insight that could be life-changing. So mm-hmm. let me give you an example. We often work with people who have a tendency to pursue unavailable mates, mm-hmm. okay? Yeah. And oftentimes they really desperately long for connection and feel that sense we were talking about earlier of, I can't ever get what I really want. And often part of what's happening is they're anxious. They're in that anxious part of themselves pursuing someone who's probably in an avoidant state, mm-hmm. right? And so they have this repeated experience of I'm, I'm anxious and I'm, you know, pursuing these unavailable people and I need to break that pattern. Mm-hmm. And when they start to potentially date other types of people, where I see this myth coming in is they've identified so much with the anxious side of things that they don't realize when other styles come up and in particular an avoidance side. Mm -hmm. And the avoidance side often comes up as nitpicking Mm -hmm. and they experience it as just kind of being vaguely turned off by someone Maybe they have the sense of like, I didn't like how his hair was or kind of like almost like mildly like repulsed. Mm. And it it could be that that person is genuinely um, not attractive to them. And it could be that there's an avoidant style that they're not aware of that is coming up, you know, in avoidant attachment, a very classic uh, behavior in avoidant attachment is nitpicking is criticizing things about the partner. And the reason that happens is the avoidant has learned to associate closeness with danger. And so they have a lot of strategies to deactivate their attachment system. That is to um, turn off the impulse to get close. So it's a defensive strategy to keep Mm -hmm. them safe. And so we've got these wonderful humans who have identified as anxious, want to be in relationship, try to date different people who may be more available and the avoidance side comes up, but they just write it off as there's no spark. Mm, Right. Rather than really leaning in and discovering what connection there may be there underneath whatever attachment pattern is getting activated for them in that moment. Right. That, for for example, someone who is a little bit more available than the people they, they have tended to go after in the past may bring out a different style. Absolutely. In them. Yeah. And if we think about it, we generally have more than one caregiver. Mm -hmm. And there's a whole bunch of different kinds of pairings in the world in terms of attachment styles. That said, a lot of secure people find secure people. Mm -hmm. And guess what that leaves? A lot of insecure people finding insecure people, Mm -hmm. which means that those who are insecure probably had parents who were both insecure and maybe even had different styles. Mm -hmm. Right. And so it would make sense that you might have developed some different strategies depending on which caregiver you were interacting with Mm -hmm. uh, that might come out then in different situations with different people. Absolutely. Uh, Just a a little anecdote. When the book Attached came out uh, a while back, uh, it was, as I mentioned, sort of the first book that was in the pop psychology world about attachment styles. And so a lot of people were reading it and every client I had that read it came in and said, oh, I'm the 1% that's anxious avoidant. Mm. The 1% that's not secure, not anxious, not avoidant, but a mix of anxious and avoidant. (laughs) And I was like, I I really don't believe that I am only attracting this supposed 1% of the population into my practice. And, you know, that was... 
also kind of dovetailing my experience with these clients of like, they had a mixed style, right. right? It wasn't that they were necessarily disorganized. That's what anxious avoidant is. They, they might've had some of that, but they just experienced both sides, both styles. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Fascinating. So yeah, where I want to go with all of this is just, I think it's important to keep this in mind. And I like to encourage people to look at attachment theory, look at their own styles with a very open mind and with the stance of everyone is every style, including me. And just to learn about all the styles from that perspective, because chances are, even if you are largely in one style, most of the time, there may be moments where you're not, and you are (laughs) relating to a lot of people day by day, you are going to come across all of those styles at some point. And so get really good at detecting them in yourself and in others. Now, um, would you advise trying to figure out what other people's attachment styles are and interact with them differently? Or is Mm. it more useful to look at your own style and not try to assess other people's attachment style? Or how would you approach that? Yeah, this is a good question. I think Josh is making a... Is it like a nervous, excited face? Excited face. face. (laughs) (laughs) He just raised his eyebrows at me. Uh, So... I think that it is absolutely helpful to know your own style. And uh, yes, I would say try to see if you can assess another person's style because treating someone or relating to somebody who's avoidant looks different than relating to someone who's more in their anxious side of things. Mm -hmm. What I will say, and this actually connects to, I had a couple bonus myths, one of which is, so the the myth I want to bust is if you want to know someone's attachment style, ask them. (laughs) (laughs) Uh I feel like this is a very common first date conversation, actually, for a lot of people who really like attachment styles. And here's the thing. Some people don't know themselves very well. And they've kind of read a couple pop psychology articles and they kind of misclassify themselves or they have fallen prey to this very common myth of we're only one style and they pigeonhole themselves as one style that actually doesn't show up in your relationship. Their entire, you know, entirely different style could show up because of that thing we're talking about of attachment is inherently dyadic, meaning two people are present. And so it's going to shift depending on who those two people are. So some people don't really understand their own style. One other reason that we can't necessarily rely on what people say about their attachment style is that in avoidant attachment, one of the sort of defensive structures of that style is dissociation, which comes with poor memory and sort of dismissing how early attachment impacted us as an adult. And so somebody who's avoidant, there's a good chance they'll say, I had a great childhood, if they were working with a therapist and the therapist kind of dug into that and asked them for memories of that great childhood, they probably wouldn't be able to report much. Mm-hmm. Um, so the avoidant style in particular, they're, they're maybe going to present or as secure or say they're secure when they're not. They're just dissociated from the difficulties right. from their early attachment history. I think that's so fascinating. And I, I think that piece around the lack of memory, of detailed memories from your childhood, I think that's a great potential little check for yourself of like, oh, how am I, you know, I think maybe I'm secure, maybe that, and, and yet 
do I have a lot of detailed memories mm-hmm. interacting with my caregivers of, you know, happy moments, emotional moments from my childhood? And if not, that may be a good signal for you to examine, explore further uh, and see, oh, am I demonstrating some of these other avoidant attachment style signs that I might want to be aware of, see how to work with so that I can be more successful in my relationships? Yes, absolutely. And what I love about what you just said is to, if you notice the lack of memory, to check it with other avoidant attachment traits, because Mm -hmm. there is just the fact that some human beings have worse memory. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Me being one of them, so... Um, so yes, I think triangulating with all of the other signs is yeah. really important. Yeah. The other thought I had about about this, and I'm curious your take on this. Mm-hmm. I think my caution around inviting people to diagnose other people's attachment style is that folks don't use it as, like what we were talking about earlier, as like an assessment or a, or a judgment of people. Yes. Like, oh, you're avoidant, don't want to deal with you. Right. Get, you know, and I say this, I think there's some nuance here. Number one, one possible way to use it, as you're saying, is to understand and, and learn how to interact with people better to produce better outcomes and more connection. It's like, oh, okay, if I know that you have an anxious tendency in our relationship, at least, I, there are certain things that I can do that will support you more effectively than if I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. There's a real benefit there of using this for connection. Yes. And I, I do imagine that there are probably some times, and I'd be curious your take on this, that understanding some of the signs of different attachment styles that a, a person you're dating might be exhibiting might be helpful to know, actually, no, this isn't a relationship that is good for me to pursue right now. Yes. That knowing this, okay, they may be displaying some avoidant attachment signs, for instance, and uh, there's not enough, I don't know, awareness of that on their end or like interest in working through that to meet me in connection, that may be a signal, okay, we're actually not a good fit here. And this is something that I should pay attention to. Right. Yeah, this is a really great point. So what I'm hearing you say is that we need to be careful not to use these categories to preemptively cut people out. Right. And that in and of itself can be an insecure attachment behavior. Right. Right. Oh, I've got a label for what they are. Well, I don't have to take a risk on this one. Yeah. Thank you, next. Yeah. So again, I think it comes back to like, what's the tone of that? Right. What, you know, internally, how am I holding it? Does it feel like a, a way to push away or does it feel like something that allows me to explore mm-hmm. more? The other piece that you said is really important too, because I think that for a lot of people who are m- chronically single, who find themselves in repeating patterns in dating that really aren't serving them, part of the work is to identify what's going on here? Like, who am I choosing? Who's choosing me? And how does that not work? A really classic one we've been talking a lot about today is the anxious avoidant pairing. And that we part of why we would talk about that is it's really the most difficult one, mm-hmm. typically. Right. <laughs> and so for some people, when they're coming to a place of really dating mindfully, in an attachment-informed way, the work is, oh, maybe let's say they're on the avoidance side often with the people they choose. They say, oh, I keep choosing people who are anxious and we just keep going on this roller coaster. Mm -hmm. And so for my own good, I need to look for those who have a different style. Mm -hmm. 
That's very different from, oh, you're anxious? Ugh. Right. Clingy. <laughs> Ugh. <laughs> Got a very different vibe to it. Very different. Yeah. yeah. There's yeah. more care and respect and not like putting people down for a particular attachment style, but just seeing, oh, this is what I need. Right. This comes back to that myth of insecure attachment is bad, mm-hmm. right? It, we need to hold on to these are just adaptations and some adaptations work better together. Mm-hmm. All right. Ready for myth number five? I I am ready. ready. Oh, wait, wait. Actually, oh, yeah. we didn't really clarify. Okay. If oh, yeah. people aren't good at telling you what their style is, what do you do? Right. You you look for their, you look at their behaviors. Yeah. Okay. You look for an attached, they refer to them as smoking guns. Mm. Okay. So if somebody, for example, describes a pattern of short relationships that only get to a certain point and then they maybe even say something like, I don't know, I just hit a wall with it and, you know, had to go. That might be a better indicator or perhaps they say one thing and do another. That's a sign of avoidant attachment. I love what you're saying about look at the behaviors rather than what they're saying. Right. And that's going to be a better indicator for you of what their attachment style is. Yes, absolutely. Brilliant. Okay. Myth number five. Okay. If you're insecurely attached, you can't build secure relationships or you can, but only with a super secure person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think this was one of the things people did not like about the book Attached. Mm-hmm. It kind of suggested if you're insecure, find someone secure. Right. And good luck if you don't. <laughs> And I know that's been frustrating for a lot of people because a lot of the people I work with are like, where are the secure people? They're all in relationships. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) This gives me no hope and I already had so little. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So I, you know, I suspect you, Josh, actually have uh, some thoughts on this. I do. I mean, fundamentally, just the truth is people with insecure attachment styles build healthy, secure functioning relationships all the time. And uh, I think the the key here is secure functioning relationship. Mm-hmm. This is a term that I absolutely love. And I'm just going to quote Stan here mm-hmm. uh, because Stan Tatkin is the term that he he coined. Um, a secure functioning relationship is an interpersonal system based on principles of true mutuality, collaboration, justice, fairness, and sensitivity. True mutuality. I love that. Mm-hmm. And. Uh, to continue to quote him, you and your partner are taking on the world together. You protect each other from the threats of the external, the outside world, and from the internal each other. A secure functioning relationship acknowledges and celebrates that you and your partner each have a different mind, history, drive, and interests. It's a relationship built on interdependence where you both accept the burden and care of each other equally. And the reason I love this is because it points to Uh, Not what attachment style we are, but how are we willing to relate to each other no matter what attachment style we are, Mm -hmm. right? So it could be a person who tends anxious and a person who tends avoidant or whatever, two anxious folks, right? But it's like, okay, can we align on what we want to develop is a secure functioning relationship? And that's a series of patterns, behaviors, orientations, principles, agreements that we make with each other about how we're going to relate, you know, it's about both of us. It's about mutuality, as Stan talks about, about collaboration, that we're going to protect each other from the outside world and from ourselves, right? Mm-hmm. From the crappy little things that we can do sometimes. And so this, I feel like this is the holy grail right here. Mm. This is like, 
if you get nothing else out of this podcast, secure functioning relationship is it. It's it. And it's possible. And it's possible. And you have to be on the same page about it. Yeah. Mutuality, <laughs> right? <laughs> Collaboration. I was listening to a book on attachment and psychotherapy earlier today, and they were talking about how human beings, like all other land mammals, don't uh, associate safety with a place, like a place that they can run to, but with a being. Mm. Right? Isn't that so beautiful? That's great. So I think that it's just so important, regardless of your style, that you and your partner are in agreement that you're going to be one another's safe place. Mm -hmm. Mm. That's so beautiful. And with that as the foundation, you can handle just about anything that comes up, right? It gives you a, a place for the two of you to aim for, to handle whatever arguments, disagreements, ruptures, painful things that come up in the relationship. It's like, okay, if what we're aiming for is this, that we're each other's safe place, that we've got each other's back, no matter what, what do we then need to do to make that true? Mm-hmm. What are the, the skills we might need to develop together? Communication skills, whatever it might be. What are the habits, the ways of being with each other, the support that we might get, you know, from friends, family, couples, therapist, individual, you know, whatever it might be. So that we can do that. If I were (laughs) advising people looking for a relationship, what should you look for in a partner? Someone who is willing to build Mm. a secure functioning relationship. Yes. That should be like top of your list. Yes. Because with that, you can do so much. Mm -hmm. Mm. Beautifully put. I think this one segues pretty naturally into our, our sixth myth, which is in order to build a secure relationship, you have to develop secure attachment first. Which, I don't know about you, but sounds like a lot of work to me. (laughs) (laughs) Give us some hope, Jessica. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I think this one, like most things in life, is both and, right? We, to get to that place of yummy, satisfying relationship, we need to build our own internal resources and also heal in relationship. All that said, we come into this world dependent on other human beings. First and foremost, we do not develop the capacity to self-soothe unless we've been in relationship with a parent or a caregiver who can soothe us first. Mm. So I like to think of it as like, yeah, it'd be nice if we could develop secure attachment on our own before entering relationship. And like biologically, that's actually not the order it goes in. Mm -hmm. So can you say yes to relationship, even if it's not jumping into a partnership? So can you be in relationship with friends, a therapist, loving others as a way of developing secure attachment in addition to developing your capacity to self-soothe? All of that is going to set you up, even if you don't have a partner to do the attachment healing with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The other resource I wanted to, to drop in here uh, is Dan Tatkin's 10 Commandments for a Secure Functioning Relationship. Mm, yes. I think this is, this is delightful. And it gives you a, a blueprint for what does it look like to function in a secure functioning relationship together? Mm-hmm. What are the things that will have to be true Yes. for that to really work? And you may find in your own relationship, you express them a little bit differently or put different words to them that work for the two of you. 
but I think this is a wonderful place to start. Uh, as What does it look like? What are some agreements that we make together about how we are with each other? Yes. So we'll link to those in the show notes. You and I took that document, Stan's Ten Commandments, and made our own at the beginning of the relationship and yeah. provided such a beautiful mantra to come back to, to mm-hmm. check and make sure, are we doing what we said we wanted to do to create this sense of we are each other's safe place? Yeah. Yeah, it's been so sweet. I've uh, I've treasured that document. Yeah, good. Well, time for number seven. Time for number seven. All right. Attachment theory explains everything. 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 <laughs> everything is attachment. <laughs> oh. Which uh, I'm going to guess, Jessica, <laughs> you might have some nuance to contribute for us around this. I mean, as somebody who's very attachment oriented, it's <laughs> it's easy for me to slip into feeling like yeah. attachment explains everything. And totally. that was definitely my experience when I first came upon it 10 years ago or whatever. It definitely felt like this explains everything. Oh, my God. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, I just put words to like the weird things people do in relationships, mm-hmm. myself included. And mm-hmm. like, oh, it's it's all actually kind of predictable, right? That's part of the thing about these styles is these are predictable biological reactions Mm -hmm. to certain inputs, right? That's why they're styles. That's why people fall into categories because our systems protect in very predictable ways. Mm -hmm. So all of that is to say, I think it's easy to, you know, if you're a hammer, everything looks like a nail. If, If attachment theory really captures you, that's pretty easy to fall into. And there are so many other things at play outside of attachment, right? There is culture and gender and mental health issues and pheromones and trauma, you know, you know, incompatibility between partners, sexual orientation. I mean, we could go on and on, right? Processing styles. Processing styles. Thinking styles. That's right, right. Yeah. So I think that this is important. This, you know, busting this myth is important because if we just think everything's attachment, we we miss out on uh, putting our finger on other things that are, might be really illuminating. Um, let me give you an example. So let's imagine that you and your partner are struggling to stay connected and you find that your partner's communication is inconsistent. And this brings up a lot of your anxious attachment. And so you do some attachment-oriented therapy and you kind of look at like, oh, they must have maybe a more avoidant style. You maybe really work really hard on that. And then somewhere down the line, turns out they get diagnosed with ADHD, mm. something that has gone under the radar for many years because they're they've got a lot of smarts and kind of have learned how to mask their lack of attention. And suddenly what looked like avoidant attachment is actually ADHD and, and the treatment is so different. Right. So different. Right. And maybe they simply need some support through medicine and psychotherapy um, and that allows them to show up more consistently. Mm-hmm. So, you know, enjoy the attachment theory and how it explains so many things and don't let it stop you from looking at other pieces. That's brilliant. I have nothing else to add. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I have a bonus myth. We already went over one of them. Bonus myth. Bonus myth. So (laughs) I love singing today. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for your patience, dear listener. 
So bonus myth, men are avoidantly attached. Women are anxiously attached. Ooh, oh yeah. I was thinking about this one earlier. I was like, yeah. we should talk about that. And then I forgot about it. So I'm yeah. glad you brought it up. Yeah. Yep. I think that's super stereotypical. I think it's in a lot of rom-coms. Mm-hmm. Um, and it falls into this misogynistic stereotypes yes, as well. That, like, absolutely. Women are clingy mm-hmm. and men are the strong, silent ones. Mm-hmm. Yada, yada, yada. Women are hysterical. Women are hysterical. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. So it's not true, y'all. Myth busted. Myth busted. (laughs) As many men and women are anxiously attached as are avoidantly attached, it's it's evenly split, basically. So that's that. It just, yeah, nothing more to say. (laughs) I I do think that's a really important one because I've worked with a lot of men who have an anxious style and Mm -hmm. they feel ashamed of that right. because it doesn't match the like James Bond kind of a indifferent ladies man sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And similarly, women who have a more avoidance style, they, you know, may not even really, oftentimes they don't really even know their style. They haven't really looked too deep into it. I, th- I think in part because of the avoidance and in part because this, it didn't resonate based on their stereotypical assumptions. Mm-hmm. Do you think avoidant people tend to look less at attachment style stuff? I have noticed that people who lean avoidant do feel more criticized by it, I think. Yeah. Which, you know, it's interesting, right? I think that there may be a couple pieces there. Those who are avoidant, the, one of the underlying core beliefs is I'm not enough or I'm a disappointment. Mm-hmm. And so I think it might activate some of that when they see literature about avoidance and um, how it impacts others. So it may activate the underlying shame. And then why would they want to look at that? It's kind of like, you know, when, when we're more avoidant, one of the ways that gets developed is we have a parent who's overly critical, right? Right. It's not that there's no contact in that case. It's that the contact is very unsatisfying because the parent just keeps coming in with criticism. Mm -hmm. And so I think for that reason, and those of us who have more of an avoidance style can sometimes experience attachment literature as critical, as the critical parent. Right, right. And activates that attachment system. Yeah. Yeah. And... Very understandably. Yeah. yeah. And I think that, again, I want to come back to like, who's writing all this material about attachment? <laughs> Probably people with a mixed attachment style. Right. It's like those of us who need to understand this are the ones who have the insecure <laughs> attachment styles to work with. <laughs> <laughs> the folks who are secure function, secure attachment style oriented are like, yeah, I'm good. Yeah. So, you know, I think it's always possible that some of these articles do carry a little bit of that kind of like good guy, bad guy feeling because that's part of the insecure attachment experience. There are good right. guys and there are bad guys. Right. Yeah. That's a great point. You're a great point. Oh, well, thanks. <laughs> uh, well. Any other... Uh, Random questions about attachment, Josh? Yeah, let's see. What's your number one uh, tip for people who want to develop secure attachment who aren't yet in a relationship? My number one tip for people who want to, you said develop secure attachment but are not yet in a relationship, Mm -hmm. is to build relationships with uh, emotionally available others outside of romantic relationships. Get really good at identifying people who are kind, warm, consistent, expressive, and playful. Boom. Boom. Kind, warm, 
consistent, expressive, and playful. You got it. I love that. Hmm. Well, I think we dropped some attachment knowledge. Should we pick it up? I don't want to leave the, <laughs> the uh, studio dirty. <laughs> I like how you call it our studio. <laughs> it's our kitchen table. <laughs> yep, we dropped some attachment knowledge. Mm-hmm. And We're going to leave it there. We're going to leave it there. <laughs> Uh, like wildflower seeds that we've sprinkled on the ground that yes. will bloom into wonderful flowers. Yes. <laughs> we should stop before we get any sillier. <laughs> all right. Well, we appreciate you all for listening. Thank you for being with us. And as always, you can find the show notes for this episode with links to all the resources that we mentioned at relationshipcenter.com slash podcast. And if you like this show, uh, you can leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Even a short review helps other sweeties like you find us and find the show. Um, it's what we so appreciate it. And if you have a question that you'd like us to answer on a future episode, we love it. Call 415-573-0164 to leave us a little voicemail um, and just you know be prepared that we may play that on the air. Or you can send us an audio note at podcast at relationshipcenter.com. We promise we read every email, we listen to every message, and we so appreciate you for reaching out. And until next time. We we love love you too. too. Bye. This is a secure attachment song. It is just like this. And it's a secure attachment song for relationship bliss. (laughs) That was amazing. We're not including that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, I used to go on your EP. <laughs> uh.